0: You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. And my goodness, what a... uh, Tuesday, March 8th, it was. Aaron Rodgers finally came up from hibernation and told everybody he was sticking with the Packers. And it's not about the money, I guess. And then the bombshell that came right after that, and they said the dominoes would be falling. Russell Wilson on his way to Denver. So Denver does get a guy. Uh, we'll answer questions like, how do you bet $1,500 and lose $11 million? Plenty of speed in Indianapolis. We know that at the Brickyard, but a lot of speed at uh, Lucas Oil for the Combine as well. First off, let, let's go to this quarterback stuff. Alex, you know, when you start hearing this news, I mean, what was your first reaction? Are you talking about Russell
1: Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, or Carson Wentz?
0: Either one. you can start where you want.
1: I was shocked about Russell Wilson especially going to Denver, because, you know, I think the Kansas City Chiefs have to be put on notice right now because, look, they still have the best quarterback, but Russell Wilson just adds uh, an extra flavor here. Plus now, you know, you've got Patrick Mahomes, you've got Russell Wilson, you've got Justin Herbert, and Derek Carr is not a bad last quarterback to have in this division. So this is like quarterbacks galore in the AFC West, and these games are going to be... A hell of a lot of fun. So I'm shocked. I thought Seattle would get even more for Wilson. Now you could say that the Denver Broncos are definitely a Super Bowl contender just because they were only a quarterback away.
0: Well, they certainly, the odds in Vegas took a tumble on the Broncos once the the deal came across, and, you know, with good reason. I mean, obviously... Russ being one of the top quarterbacks in the league, he's one of, I believe, only four winning quarterbacks that start in the NFL currently. I think you've got uh, Russ, you've got Stafford, you got Rodgers, you got Mahomes. Foles may or may not still be around, but of four, two of them are now in the AFC West. And yeah, like you said, I mean, every one of those teams has a more than capable quarterback of going into the playoffs. You're only going to get two, maybe three out of that division now. No longer the Kansas City Invitational. They've won that division six years in a row. Uh, They've got winning streaks and huge records against all those teams. But yeah, I, I can certainly see that changing uh, in a heartbeat here and again we still have free agency and so forth plus you know new quarterback rookie head coach it may take a while to get going obviously we saw what happened with Brady when he went to Tampa but you know there was a pandemic and so forth yeah I mean this is just uh it's incredible and just as things were happening on Tuesday the 8th yeah it was just a great theater the Rodgers thing I guess it's easy to say now that, oh, yeah, he was always going to go back to Green Bay, but I don't know. I don't think that was the case. I think if the numbers are correct on this reported four-year extension that's worth some $200 million, and again, he came out later and said that he hasn't signed anything like that, but those are the reports, uh, that's a lot of money. Devontae Adams ended up getting the franchise tag, of course. So, um, yeah, they're up against it for the cap, but they've got their quarterback. What happens to Jordan Love now? I guess that's that's the real question.
1: Let's trade him. Trade him away as quickly as possible, and that's it. I mean, who cares? Jordan Love is non-consequential in this conversation right now. You drafted him in the first round. If he can get like a, a second-round pick for him, I think you'll take him because obviously he's a great mystery. I mean, he hasn't played much. If you can have Aaron Rodgers back, I mean, the Packers won this. I mean, they're definitely a top-five team, like you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. What about Carson Wentz, Lou? I'm a little bit confused here. The Colts basically came out and said that they were either trading him or getting rid of him. He was going to get released. I mean, how desperate do the Washington Commanders, how desperate do they have to be that they traded, I would say, quite a bit for a guy... That hasn't been relevant for the past couple of years, to be honest with you. I mean, does he have that much of a market? I mean, Washington just seems desperate in this situation. I realized that they wanted to get into the Russell Wilson you know, sweepstakes. I'm sure they, they called about some other quarterbacks, but settling for Carson Wentz, for a quarterback that the Colts were trying to get rid of after a year? Basically, there's a story out there that Frank Reich had to apologize to Jim Ursay because... You know, he brought him in here. He kind of vouched for him. And now after a year, they just get rid of him. That's the trade that I was most confused by. Because, I mean, Denver gave up the farm for Russell Wilson. And that's great because they've got the weapons there. Russell Wilson hasn't had these weapons in, in Seattle. And now the commanders just come out of nowhere. I mean, who made this trade? That That's all. I'm curious about this. Plus, now Carson Wentz is going to play against the Eagles twice a year. I'm sure Philadelphia is going to. They they would want to take him down, you know, sack him as much as they can during those games. I'm baffled by this decision.
0: Well, he has a winning record against the NFC East. So <laughs> I guess that's the one positive. I believe he's like 16-9 and as a starter and then just horrible against everybody else. Well, Washington had made, so reports are... That they actually had offered a better deal, well, not maybe not a better deal overall, but at maybe three number one picks to Seattle for Russ. So my thinking is perhaps that you know maybe Russ didn't or may, vetoed a trade going to Washington, and obviously you know they were able to work things out with Denver, and that went that way. Uh, so yes, to answer your question, Washington is very desperate as far as the market for Wentz. I don't know that it would have been that strong. Obviously there's a bunch of teams out there that are gonna get left with very little answers. I mean, who do you have left now? You know, Mitchell Trubisky is being his name is being thrown around, Jameis Winston, Jimmy Garoppolo again in a trade, but he just had surgery, so you don't know how much of an offseason he's gonna get, especially with a new team and you're expecting him to start, that might be a tough deal. But you know, God, I mean, the, the amount of draft picks and capital that have been given up for Carson Wentz—first the Eagles moving up in the draft, then Indianapolis trading for him, and now Washington trading for him—I don't know. There's something about this guy that uh, it's 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 really it's really baffling. They must see something. Now, I don't think this precludes them from using draft capital to get. Another quarterback, maybe a young quarterback. Maybe now with, I believe, that what do they have, the 11th pick? Maybe they use that. Maybe they fell in love with one of these guys. Maybe Seattle fell in love with one of those guys. They have the Denver's ninth pick overall now. Maybe they take a quarterback. But as far as Wentz is concerned, yeah, it's baffling. I don't know where this is going with the commanders. They said for sure that they wanted a veteran. So they've got their veteran now. Let's see what they do with the... Uh, the rookie. What did the Broncos
1: give up for Russell Wilson?
0: Two ones, two twos, and a fifth. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, two ones, two twos, a fifth, plus Drew Locke, Noah Fant, and Shelby Harris.
1: Does Seattle actually think that Drew Locke is a starting quarterback in this league?
0: No, I don't think so. I think they, I guess, again, the word is I think they liked him coming out. I would imagine that Denver probably just wanted to get him out of there, and that was more of a throw-in. But they liked him. To, hey, we'll take a look, see what's up. I mean, he's not making any money. But again, now they're sitting there with the ninth pick. They've got some extra capital. Do they get into the Deshaun Watson craze here? As we record, uh, I believe tomorrow, the 11th, he's due to go in front of the grand jury. So if they don't find any criminal charges, maybe they get those uh, civil lawsuits out of the way and uh, he'll be traded within the next uh, you know, week or so. Again, stand by. This is still a developing thing. But I don't know that Deshaun would want to go to Seattle based on what they're doing, kind of tearing it down now. I mean, They got rid of Bobby Wagner, trade Russell Wilson. I mean, basically two guys left from the Super Bowl team. Where are they right now? What's Pete thinking at this point? He just re-upped. He's going to be 71 years old. Are they really rebuilding this thing? And what veteran would want to go in there? And now again, you got Metcalf, you got Lockett, you got some weapons, but you know defensively they're really behind the eight ball, and it's very tough division. So balls up in the air. You got some outstanding teams that definitely are going to need quarterbacks. I mean Tampa's up there, Indianapolis now. Houston's going to probably stick with Davis Mills. Pittsburgh. You know you've got a lot of teams here, so a lot of things changing. We do have a guest today, so let's uh, let's go ahead and bring him in. He's a defensive back for the University of Hawaii Rainbows, played his high school ball in Houston, number 22, Colby Burton. Colby, welcome to Pros Like Us, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. How about yourself? Doing all right. I mean, we'll talk to you. I mean, obviously about football stuff and that sort of thing. We like to get a little background too. your family. Do you have an a- athletic family?
2: Uh, yes, sir. My dad um, was an all-district guy. Oh, Metro guy in New Orleans, Louisiana. He played defensive back, also running back in some corner. He went to East Jefferson High School. My mom played cabbage ball growing up, but she's she's more on the English teacher side of things. So my athletic genes come from my father. All right. Now,
0: do your brothers play any sports? Uh,
2: yes, yeah, so I got a younger brother that runs track, plays basketball and plays football. He's in middle school. I have an older brother as well. He played football coming up and some wrestling a little bit and, and, and powerlifting too. And I also have another younger brother that lives out here in New Orleans, Louisiana, with my dad. and he He's going to be a stud. Right? Potential five-star coming out of high school. He's in seventh grade right now.
0: Well, we're going to have to keep an eye on him. What's his name?
2: Jeremiah Burton. And my other All younger right. brother is in eighth grade in League City, Texas. His name is Jacob Peter.
0: All right. But you also you have a sister, and she's your twin. So what's that like, I guess, to be separated from, from a twin. It's a little different than just, I guess, a regular sister, right? I mean, it, it's a little different relationship. Yes, indeed. It's crazy sometimes because I forget I
2: have a twin. More so like the same person. She's just a female version of me. She can read my mind. And uh, she's been there through ups and downs. I, financially, she's helped me a lot because she's further ahead of me. She, you know, she works two, three jobs. She's in nursing school, graduated from Sam Houston with a 4.0. Everything you can ask for for a model female in in this world, in in my opinion.
1: Colby, you were born in New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, You went to high school in Texas, so you've traveled a bit. But in terms of college, you decided to go back to Louisiana, and you chose McNeese State. Why is that? Why did you decide to go back home?
2: Uh, Funny story. So I was picking between Louisiana Monroe and McNeese State. McNeese State was my first offer, so of course I was leaning towards those guys. Uh, They told me I was going to come in, play early, which I did. But the main reason I chose McNeese State, my younger brother, Jacob Peter, he he was young. He just had some surgery on his mouth and he was drugged up. I wasn't there, but my mom called me as soon as this happened. I had flip commitments from McNeese to Monroe. My brother was drugged up and he was like, Mom, tell Kobe go pokes McNeese State. Gidry's going to take care of him. When my mom called me and told me that, it sent chills down my body, and I was locked into McNeese State since then. It was kind of like the Holy Spirit speaking through my younger brother, and I just followed that lead.
1: So a little guidance from the young one kind of paved you the way.
2: Uh, Yes, sir. That environment at McNeese State, man, I wouldn't trade that experience back for anything. What made McNeese State such a special place for you? It was family, Going in on my official visit, I clicked with a lot of the guys that were in my recruiting class that year. McNeese State was ranked top ten in every category defensively in the whole FCS. They went undefeated. Were ranked number two in the country. I mean, they had everything going. That coaching staff actually got fired and went to Monroe. The defensive coordinator became the head coach, Lance Guidry. And on my official visit, I got the. Uh, my host was the Louisiana Player Defensive Player of the Year, Wallace Scott. Just that vibe, that that family environment. I had never experienced anything like that, not not in high school, middle school, or little league. It was love at first sight. That's exactly, that's the best way I can explain it, love at first sight.
1: Did you guys have a special bond as far as the secondary is concerned? There's another guy that transferred to Texas. His name is Darian Dunn. Were you guys like brothers? Uh, yes,
2: indeed. I believe we had the best cornerback tandem in McNeese State history. We both made all decade, but most of all, Our motto defensively was DWA, defense with attitude. All of our coaches, those three years, the first three years I was there, every coach on defense played at McNeese State in the 90s. They all played together. They started the DWA trend. So it was more than just football. It was more than just we are going to be the best defensive unit on the field at all times. It was like, man, off the field, in the classroom, it was family and brotherhood. I've never been a part of anything like it.
0: So you mentioned the all-decade team at McNeese. Uh, you were all-conference. This is 2018. And maybe correct my dates if, if I don't have them right, uh, Colby. 2019, yes, medical redshirt. Uh, right. The 2020 season gets canceled. When you went into the transfer portal, any thought to go into ULM? Yes, I was going to sign to Monroe. And then
2: that coach and staff got let go. They still sent me my uh, paperwork to sign. But, man, this guy at Hawaii reached out to me, Abe Elamimian. And conversation we had and just my future goals and his future goals, it, w- it was bigger than football. It was more of my development as a man. And I felt like, man, they had some stability over there. This is the best option for me. So I ended up flipping commitments from
0: Monroe again. And took my challenge to the University of Hawaii. Okay, so you get there. You're a DNP. How would you characterize, I guess, the program itself? I mean, a lot of controversy uh, came out of there with Coach Graham and so forth by the, by the end of the year. How would you characterize the program from when you first got there to the end of the season? I mean, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. Uh, I feel like
2: it was a blessing in disguise. Coach Graham coaches hard. Certain things he does, not everybody likes, but that's a part of the business world. And, you know, you have to work with people that you don't get along with sometimes. I feel like I learned a lot from Coach Graham as a man and as a football player. And I wouldn't
0: trade that experience for anything as well. I mean, what did you see? I mean, other than getting coaching hard, did you see anything that, that kind of sent up some red flags for you? I've seen a
2: chance to grow spiritually, mentally, and as a man. And I had always been the guy everywhere since Little League. I would text my coach, Coach Bronson, he played nine years for San Francisco, and he would always tell me, CB, don't worry about football right now, your character's being tested. So every day, my approach was how can I love on these guys, how can I motivate these guys, how can I help these guys become better? That whole experience wasn't about me. I grew so much from not playing the first six games, I wouldn't take it back. It was a great experience. I got to find myself outside of football, which... All my life has been football, football, football. And, you know, the game is going to step away from everybody at one point in time. And A lot of guys that step away from the NFL and they have a hard time living because it's been football for so long. I think before I could really take that step and play in the NFL or wherever God takes me, I had to find myself outside of football and
0: spiritually as well. You earned your first start. It was supposed to be in the Hawaii Bowl. That game ends up getting canceled. Now, you may have already answered this question, but I guess what were your emotions at the time when you found out that, hey, here's my big opportunity here in Hawaii and no good? Right. So I don't believe in
2: coincidences. And for that game, I had gotten invited to the Tropical Bowl. So I was, you know, my mind was set on competing in this Hawaii Bowl against Memphis. They had some talented receivers, a lot of guys on their side dropped out couple of guys on our side dropped out. So it was already kind of like, a, oh, should we make this happen? COVID became a serious deal at that point in time. And, and like I said, I don't really believe in coincidences. So when that happened, I mean, immediately I was like, let's get ready for the Tropical Bowl. I've had my chance to showcase what I could do at McNeese State. To even land at an FBS school from FCS from not even playing two years and off of an ankle injury, that was enough. The transfer portal is a black hole. I mean, some guys go in and never come out. But for me to not play football for two years and suffer the injury I suffered, and still land at an FBS school and play play go from FCS to FBS, that experience alone was it was enough.
1: Was it tough for you initially when you transferred from the FCS program to an FBS one, just from a physical standpoint? You know, from a mental standpoint, just knowing that these guys that you're competing against, even in practice, are bigger, faster? Or did you feel like football is football? I felt like
2: football is football. But one thing I can say is the depth at those universities is by far better than the depth at the FCS universities. The receivers, of course, have a little bit more size on them and a little bit more speed. Defensive backs, of course, have a little bit more size, a little bit more speed. But I think the game only changes up front when you make that transition, O-line, D-line, and, of course, quarterback play. Ultimately, I felt like I belonged. That's my approach everywhere I go. All
0: right, Colby. I noticed a a bunch of retweets from uh, Coach Dimitri Donald on your uh, Twitter feed. These sound inspirational. What's your favorite one, and how does it inspire you? (laughs) All praise to the most high. I'm very
2: firm in my faith with God, uh, my walk. And every day I make that my point, man. I get on Twitter. I see that. I'm like, I'm going to retweet because that's not only going— hold me accountable, but it's going to hold my followers accountable. And, you know, mainly I'm doing it for me because, I mean, I retweet that all praise to the most high. I have to walk a certain walk.
0: And I also noticed there there was some uh, connection to Coach uh, Fig at Hawaii. Did he kind of keep you going through those first six games? And what does he mean to you?
2: Oh, man. Mentor off the field, mentor on the field. These are his words every day. CB. Trust the process. He would always tell me, if it was up to me, you'd be playing right now. But, man, the head man makes a decision. So, I mean, it's all love with Coach Fig. Me and Coach Fig still texted his this day. I believe when I get into the coaching world, I, I could possibly end up coaching with Coach Fig. His kids were lovely. His wife is a great lady. Uh, they took me in like family, man, with the, with the goodie bags before games and just off the field bringing food to the facility for us. And it was the little things with Coach Fig, man. He genuinely cares about his players and as people, not just football players, you know. He helped develop me as a man as well.
1: So coaching is something that you want to get into? Oh, yes, sir. Definitely. I got
2: my degree in general studies. I mean, once I'm done playing football, God willing, I play 15 years and put on a gold jacket. But once I'm done, whenever I'm done, I'm definitely locking into coaching. What would you say is your best
1: attribute as a football player?
2: My instinct and versatility. Um, I can play anywhere in the secondary from free safety, nickel
1: to corner. I can
2: play every special teams. If you want to put me on a front line of kick return, I can play the front line of kick return. My tenacity and just that energy and effort I'm going to bring every day and my approach to the game.
1: Where do you feel more comfortable, though, Colby? Do you feel more comfortable as a, an outside corner or as a nickel?
2: Definitely as a nickel. I'm around the ball a lot more, but, I mean, playing as much free safety as I played, I think free safety is a great spot for me.
1: You think you're big enough for, to play safety at the next level? Oh, yeah, I watch guys like Tyron
2: Matthew and Kenny Moore play. Um, I, I know I could fit in with those guys and, and, and play just as well as they do. Um, now, it's only one of those guys. Those guys are legendary. But sooner or later, I'll be in the talks with those guys as well. I mean, hard oversize every day. That's my
1: mindset. Cornerback is the toughest position to play on defense. What do you think is the most important trait that a successful cornerback should possess? Um,
2: It starts with the eyes and finishes with the eyes. That's a quote from a great that played in the NFL for 15 years and also coached cornerbacks in the NFL for 12 years, uh, Lionel Washington. He's been mentoring me and training me through this whole pro day process. His quote starts and finishes with the eyes. Eye discipline is the key. And, of course, smooth hips and feet and, of course, technique over athleticism any
1: day. So where does Lionel Washington train as? What's his facility? Where is he at? So I'm training with
2: Oshner right now for my strength aspect, speed aspect, with Christopher Bertucci and Lance Lacoste. And I do my DB training three times a week with Lionel Washington at Harrell Park, in uptown New Orleans. He's not coaching anywhere right now. I mean, he's a well-accomplished guy. He's retired. He recruited me out of high school, and then he got back in touch with me when I was doing my pro day training in New Orleans. He said, man, I didn't get to coach you in uh, college at Tulane, but, you know, this is my opportunity to pay those dividends that we didn't get to make.
1: How have you improved your game overall and during your training at at this facility and training with uh, Lionel Washington, how have you gotten better for the pro day?
2: Okay, so the facility alone, man, they shocked my body, my muscles, and my nervous system back to life. You know, with the in-season lifts and me going home and preparing for the Tropical Bowl, I was just doing drill work. Coming to Oshner, my bench press, my vertical, my short shuttle, my 40, everything has gotten tremendously better. And... Not only that, but the diet aspect. I've been partnered with a nutritionist, and just my body fat percentage went down. My muscle mass went up. I'm lean, feeling really good. Defensive back work with Lionel Washington, I mean, that's hands-on teaching from a legend. He was named top ten corner in the Raiders history just about a week and a half ago. That guy is the NFL when it comes to secondary. I'm getting coached by NFL defensive backs coach three times a week, and he's a perfectionist. I mean... The bare minimum ain't enough. You know, we shoot for perfection and we'll fall at excellence. But the whole goal is to be perfect and it's the little details. He diagnosed little things I never thought were important at the cornerback position, but he has an eye for things that I don't and eventually I'm just trying to get to where he got to.
1: For defensive backs, you know, forty time is gonna be extremely important at the right. pro day. I mean, they won't look at you if you don't run a certain time. So what's your 40 time right now? Have you uh, been able to uh, get yourself out there on, on the timer? Uh, yes, yeah. so I'm going to run a 4-4. Four four. Low 4-4 yeah, four l- four or, four or high 4-4? Any- four four? L- low 4-4 four four to mid 4-4. Four four. Okay, all right. We're shooting for it. Hopefully, you're going to be able to accomplish it. Is that something you run consistently? Um, I've got on the stopwatch twice. Other than that,
2: I haven't tested a 40 since high school. I mean, this is my first time really doing that. and. I'm a runner of four. My pro day is March 11th at the UNLV, UNLV practice facilities. And uh, I'm well prepared in every aspect. I believe me walking off that field on March 11th, I will definitely be a priority free agent or anything above that.
0: All right, Colby, we, we appreciate the confidence. There's nothing wrong with that. You mentioned the tropical bowl. How did you help yourself there?
2: My versatility. So I did one on ones as a corner. I won majority of my reps. I sh- showcased a lot from my, my mirror and press coverage um, and playing through the hands on bigger body receivers. Then I played some nickel. I ended up blitzing, getting the strip sack the first day in pads. Uh, then I played free safety as well. So, I mean, just showing my versatility, being able to play everywhere in the secondary, I think that's definitely going to help me. And A couple articles were written up about that. and You know, guys took notice. and I definitely got myself on the radar during that time at the Tropical Bowl, and I'm very thankful for that experience.
0: All right. What kind of feedback did you get from the scouts? Did anybody talk to you like during practice, after practice?
2: Oh, no. I had just signed to an agency right before that. And I didn't really have time to him to put my name out there or anything like that or set up any
0: interviews. So
2: I ended up just going out there with one thing in mind and that's that's balling out and,
0: and, and making a name for myself. And I think I put myself in position. So not having played much the last few years, like you said, whether it was injury, the season at Hawaii, and just all that whole thing, do you feel that's a, that's a negative, or is that something that you can kind of work with to your advantage? Um, I think it's about perspective.
2: You know, for some time I thought it was a negative, but all negatives can be turned into positives. That honestly lit a fire in me. I thought I was more than deserving to play, but everything ain't gonna always go my way. I know when I do get my opportunity, I'm going to make the most of it and make sure being counted out was the wrong deal. Can't go back and change anything, but all I can keep doing is moving forward and elevate my grind and my mental focus and just sharpening the things I need to sharpen.
0: So just to wrap things up, why will an NFL team take a chance on you?
2: I'm the type of guy you want in your organization, in the locker room, not just a football player. I'm a leader on and off the field. My heart is pure. I genuinely love my teammates, and I'm going to get the best out of everybody around me each and every day. Every day will not be about me. It will be about those guys around me and bettering them as well as myself. I'm a team first guy. I can learn the secondary. I can play every special team. And I believe I'll be able to be one of those guys that play 15 years.
0: All right, Colby. I said it once. I'll say it again. We appreciate the confidence, uh, the time you've given us here. You have an opportunity, if you like, to shout out your social media handles, any cause you're involved in. Go ahead and plug away. Follow me on Twitter
2: and Instagram at underscore Colby Burton. C-O-L-B-Y-B-U-R-T-O-N. All praise to the most high. That's it.
0: All right. Very good. That's your guy, Colby Burton, gang. Look for him uh, on an NFL field sometime this spring and summer. Colby, again, we appreciate the time. I love your insight, and uh, good luck, man. Yes, sir. Thank you, and good luck to you guys as well. Thanks again to Colby Burton, Hawaii Rainbows, Pro Day coming up. All right, so speaking of Pro Days, we had the Combine, and as I mentioned at the top, speed, speed, speed. So many different guys in different position groups ran fast and different position groups Set records overall, you know, most sub four fours for the wide receiver group, most sub fives for the offensive linemen. To me, that was that was the key, pretty much the whole weekend.
1: Look, I think the buzz has to be about Jordan Davis, right? the The big defensive tackle from Georgia. I mean, guys that big are not supposed to test that well. I mean, the guy is three hundred and forty one pounds, six foot six. And he ran a four seven eight. To me, that's just incredible. He also jumped the ten three in the broad jump. I mean, he showed his athleticism. I think he will never be like a true pass rush threat, but you know, his explosion, you know, his size and the right system, I mean, this guy is gonna be tough to handle. You talked about Tariq Woolen before, uh, the UTEP cornerback, the guy who moved from wide receiver to corner only a couple of years ago. Well, he ran a four-two-six, had a forty-two-inch vertical.
0: I thought he was going to be the fastest guy, and he missed it by what, like three tenths or something.
1: Corners like this, I mean, a guy that big with his speed. And the fact that he's raw is probably going to keep him from the first round, but usually guys like this get drafted in the top 40. I also wanted to say that there's another like stunning guy from a small school, Sam Houston State, Zion McCullum. At 6'2, 199 pounds, he ran a 4'3'3. Uh, he had a vertical jump of uh, 39 and a half and a broad jump of 11 feet. And what's more impressive were the short shuttle. Like, he cracked the under four, and also the three-cone drill, 6.48. Not many people know about this kid, by the way. He has some fascinating tape, and I've watched him. He's got 13 picks, and he's got six forced fumbles in his career. His father played in the NBA, so he's got those genes. You know, I always, like, I stick up for the for the small school guys. I got to give it a shout-out to Zion uh, McCullum. You know, it's impressive. Also wanted to mention Calvin Austin from Memphis. He's 5'8", 175 pounds, but he ran a 4'32, 2", 39-inch vertical jump, an foot three broad jump. I mean, this kid is a big-time specialist, like a return specialist, and he could be a heck of a slot receiver as well. So, I mean, obviously a lot of players did well, but uh, those are a few players that I kind of picked out.
0: Well, a couple of guys, one in particular that we've had on the show and seems to, to be coming on here, getting a little bit more... Uh, run, E.J. Perry.
1: He ran like
0: four six. Seemed like he threw the ball very well. He had the best three cone of all the quarterbacks, and just he really impressed me. And has this whole off season that would be interesting to see. You know if he's going to be like a late round pick or maybe you know a preferred UDFA. One of the wide receivers, and and again I don't know where where these guys are going. I didn't didn't hear much from him. But Kevin Austin Jr. from Notre Dame. I mean, it almost reminds me of like Chase Claypool's combine where he just kind of burst onto the scene and really moved up in draft board. So I don't know how well he's going to, but as far as speed, all the jumps, that was the first thing I thought of is, it, is this another chase Claypool? Uh, another one that surprised me was Bo Melton from Rutgers running as fast as he did jumping as high as he did. So there's a lot of great athletes in the receiver group, the defensive backs, 16 guys went under four, four, But this was courtesy of uh, Dane Brugler. Uh, So I have to give him a shout out. He had posted something interesting that even though all this speed over the last few years, wide receivers with a sub seven second three cone drill this past year was only two. 2020, there was four guys that did it. 2019, there was eight. 2018, there was 18 guys that did it. In 2017, there was 23 guys that did it. When you think of all the speed and you look at guys like Cooper Cup. I think, and, and you can bear this out, Alex. I mean, being in scouting as long as you have, it's really controlling that speed, being able to gear down, slow down, and make cuts versus just the straight line speed. Now, obviously, the combine is all about you know measuring athleticism, and we know that it's not the be all end all, but it's just that chart that Brugler put up really kind of opened my eyes a little bit saying, well, why do you think that is? I mean, is it just so much concentration on the 40 for these guys training versus something that I think might relate more to their position? I don't know. What do you think?
1: Everybody focuses on the three cone drill. And when you look at The wide receiver position, when you look at the cornerback position, it's very important to flip those hips. It's very important to come out of those breaks really quickly and fluidly without really stopping. To me, it's really surprising, to be honest with you, because if you look at the 40 times for the wide receivers, just overall, guys that have run fast in the past... Not a lot of production. Not a lot of... Yeah, not a a ton
0: of production.
1: Guys that run fast, 4-2, you could talk about Henry Ruggs, you could talk about John Ross, you could talk about the 4-3 guys. I think it's a lot safer if a guy runs like a 4-5-4 or a 4-6. And I think, you know, if if you focus on those three-cone drills and he does well there, I think you've got a star in the making. Always gives me a pause when guys run really fast and then the NFL still falls for it. These guys still get drafted really high because I want to remind folks, John Ross was maybe a day two pick, but when he broke that record, he became a top 10 pick, okay? He went ninth overall. Henry Ruggs, when he ran that that fast 40 time as well, he was the first wide receiver taken a couple of years ago ahead of guys like CeeDee Lamb, ahead of guys like, Justin Jefferson. The NFL still falls for this crap, and I don't get it because smart teams look at, you know, the shuttle time, the cone drill, especially when it comes to wide receivers. It is really a fascinating thing, I mean, in terms of what you're saying, that table, because usually you see more guys, you know, getting under seven seconds out there, and we didn't see that this year.
0: Yeah, some of the other positions actually did much better at the three-cone drill, which, again, is astounding since you know these guys are, are paid to run routes, get open, and so forth. Uh, just a couple other mentions. Another small school guy, Christian Watson, North Dakota State, wide receiver. Again, just looks the part. And again, we're not advocating, or I'm not advocating, I won't speak for Alex, that all of a sudden these guys are going to be like great NFL players. These are just guys that really stood out athletically. Another guy we had on the show, Joshua Williams. He's from a D2 HBCU, so he was really a long shot to even get into the combine, but I thought he did pretty well. Didn't run his best time, but he looked pretty smooth in the field drills. Again, I'm not a coach or a scout, but you know, to me, it looks like you know he can certainly uh, make a team. One of the best names I've ever heard, Smoke Monday, another DB. Uh, So shout out to Smoke. Baylor, again, they had like a track team out there. A bunch of guys that Matt Rule uh, recruited when he first got to Baylor. And obviously, he recruited a lot of speed, a lot of track athletes there. So let's see for how many of those guys get drafted to Carolina. My favorite lineman, I really didn't know much about him before this, but Cam Juergens from Nebraska ran a sub-five. Makes his own beef jerky. They call him Beef Jerky, And uh, just looks like he's country strong and can move. So maybe this guy gets uh, gets some run in the NFL draft. Uh, Is is Jergens a guy you had your eye on, Alex? Is that somebody that uh, we, we should maybe try to line up?
1: I think he's an undrafted free agent, but we should definitely get him on the show. When you and I were doing Blitzcast a while ago, we had the segment, That's My Guy, right?
0: Eight that, years ago, at least. I mean, that was when we ended eight years ago, so let's let's date ourselves.
1: I just want to say that my <laughs> guy, that's my guy, is Cincinnati corner Ahmad Sauce Gardner. He's got the best nickname as well coming out. Just a long corner, physical, always in, in wide receiver's face. I mean, this kid, to me, is like Daryl Rivas incarnated. That's my opinion. He's bigger than Rivas, by the way. I don't know how high he's going to go, but I don't think he's going to get out of the top 10.
0: Yeah, I think maybe one of the New York teams, I think for sure, is going to have interest, and I would imagine more so the Jets. But again, you know, it depends on how the picks go, if people get traded. We haven't said anything about the running backs, and just real quick, a lot of speed out there again. Brees Hall, I think, is kind of cementing his spot as the number one running back. But I thought Kenneth Walker, he showed a lot more speed than I expected. But Kyron Williams ran like a 4.7 and then ran 4.7 again. Uh, let's see what he does at his pro day. But uh, I thought he was one that, if you had to say disappointed... In the t shirt and shorts Olympics, underwear Olympic, whatever you want to call it. He was one that, that may have disappointed a bit. A bit. All right. I mean,
1: he disappointed a lot.
0: Well, as far as the speed goes. So, yeah. I mean, but again, the other thing is too, with so much being focused on next gen stats and everything else, and everybody, all these guys having GPS trackers, that is going to start to take a little precedence as far as looking at the game speed versus just straight line 40. It was something that Daniel Jeremiah kept mentioning on the broadcast. They, you know, you watch games anymore, and they always, you know, if Tyree Kill takes off for a long touchdown, or uh, Jonathan Taylor takes off for a long touchdown, Jamar whatever, they'll say, "Hey, here's what is his top speed in that run." And a lot of times, I shouldn't say a lot of times, but sometimes those guys, are, wow, he's only a, you know, Cooper Cup hit 21 miles an hour. He's only a four six guy. How do he run away from everybody? So I think there's a big difference there you know, the game speed and the and the time. And that was the other thing that I wanted to mention and it just it just reminded me now is that the unofficial clock at the combine was so random because when they did the officials there were so many that came in much higher and there were so many that came in much lower and I've never seen such a disparity at the combine where it was like guys one of the guys they had clocked at four two one, and it comes back it was over four three. You know they had uh, I think Olave at like four two six, and it was four three, and there was a bunch like that. But just something I wanted to mention to say what the heck is going on with that timer? Former GM at Washington, and his name escapes me now. Charlie Casserly retired as the unofficial, this the backup timer. And Mark Ross, former uh, front office guy with the Giants, took over. So maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. Anyway, that was the combine. But uh, we talked about potential tags in the previous show. And a lot of those guys did get tagged. There was one kind of a surprise, but then there was also a trend where I think teams looked at what the tight end franchise tag was and said, hey, this is kind of affordable. I think it was like 10.4, 10.9 million. The top tight ends, I think, make about 15. So teams like Dallas, Miami, and then Cleveland. That was the shocker it was when David and Joku got it. They paid a bunch of money for Austin Hooper. They drafted Harrison Bryant. Not that you want to let good players go, but that one surprised me a little bit. But the fact that those that number was low, Gasicki and Schultz got the tags where I think you were on board with those tags, and I was thinking, eh, maybe not. Would did you think Njoku would get the tag? We never mentioned him.
1: Well, Cleveland just released Jarvis Landry, and they don't have any wide receivers on the roster from what I know, from what I see. They want to be a running team, Lou. I mean, they are a running team. They've got that two-headed monster, three-headed monster at running back. They want to keep those two tight ends. They want to keep teams guessing because, you know, they want to confuse people with that personnel. They've got Hooper. They've got Njoku. I mean, this is the way they're, they're, they're going to play. The, this is the personnel that they're going to roll with. They need to draft a couple of wide receivers. I think that's pretty obvious, and... I don't see that they have a number one guy right there for Baker Mayfield. and So I'm not surprised that they kept him, just because I think they know what they have. If he stays healthy, they can keep rolling out those two tight ends a lot in a regular well, situation.
0: Well, three tight ends, they can go to 13 personnel and really, really beat up on people. That was the one surprise surprised me. Devontae Adams... Chris Godwin, Cam Robinson, eh, it was I don't know if that was that was like a lock, but it was going to be pretty close. We mentioned the tight ends, Orlando Brown Jr. We knew that was happening, and as long along with uh, Jesse Bates in Cincinnati, Mike Williams got an extension, so they didn't have to tag him. I, the one I want to ask you about because I know you were, kind, I think you may have been against this. Again, I I don't know if I really had an opinion. But I think I'd lean more with you, but uh, Harold Landry got the extension, no tag, but got a ton of money five years 87 and a half million
1: it's a lot of money it's a lot of money but again pass rushers get paid even if you and i disagree obviously the titans feel that this guy's the limit for this player i think we won't hear from landry until he's up for the next contract and i think titans are going to be very very disappointed
0: and we already mentioned Bobby Wagner gotten cut. Uh, one of our lists, I think, was Amari Cooper, which I think most people were a little surprised by, but then comes afterwards. I don't know if they're listening to this show or taking advice from us, but uh, anyway. Uh, the word came out that Amari Cooper was was available in trade, and if they don't get a trade, he may be cut You just said Jarvis Landry. I didn't see that one, and but that one was expected. He was on our list as well. Anybody else surprise you? Alan Robinson. I I think that was one that was kind of maybe, but he didn't get tagged.
1: No, no more surprises for me, to be honest with you. I mean, some guys got extensions that I was surprised about, but as far as tags are concerned, I mean, teams decided to keep you know players that they know.
0: Well, the league year doesn't start, well, I guess the official tampering or negotiating period starts on Monday, uh, the 14th, and everything becomes official on the 16th and uh, and moving forward. There was also some other news, and I guess it was just a matter of time before we saw something like this. I mean, it's happened before in NFL history, but uh, Calvin Ridley, who had been away from his team For uh, mental health purposes, the end of October, maybe? Sometime in November, decided that he was going to make some bets on the NFL. On an app. On his own phone. I mean, there's a lot of red flags here. You know, does something, does this have to do with with his mental state? You'd hate to give somebody advice on how not to get caught, but... The fact that people are saying, "Well, it was only fifteen hundred dollars. He's away from the team. He didn't know anything. He doesn't have a gambling problem. There weren't any other evidence." Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. This is the shield. They will not be taken down from within. Uh, and this is number one. This is it, above drugs, above violence, above you know carrying guns or doing other stupid things. Gambling is the number one thing. Yes, they have gambling partners, but they are business partners and they're also business partners of the players because all that money is in the same pool that gets paid to players. The number one thing is to make sure that the games are clean, that there's no even specter of a fix in. So that one year suspension, and actually it's indefinite, but one year minimum, I think is justified and no matter you know what these arguments that come out against it i have to go with it yeah i mean it's the old guy you know get off my lawn whatever and it's so easy to gamble and it, no that's it you're getting paid millions of dollars so yeah that fifteen hundred dollar bet Three separate parlays, a three-teamer, a five-teamer, and I think an eight-teamer some ridiculous amount of money. Maybe he should start calling me. I'll take his action. But it's going to cost him $11 million because he's not playing next year and he's not getting paid. Hopefully, this is a message that goes to every single player out there and says, OK, they're definitely serious about this. Let's not mess around.
1: Well Ridley's future in Atlanta was already uncertain after he yeah. left the club like after five games last season to focus on, on his mental health. The team didn't give any indication whether you know Ridley planned to return in 2022 even before this story came out. The one thing that really surprises me is that he actually wagered on games that involved the Falcons. I mean, it's one thing to gamble on some other NFL games that you have no knowledge of, but here he knows his team pretty well. And I know he came out on Twitter, said he doesn't have a gambling problem, but that's a lot of money to basically fork over, to forfeit. When you don't have a gambling problem, and now you're out for well, not, a year. Well,
0: not for him. That would be maybe like me betting fifty bucks on each game, right, or each parlay.
1: No, they, I mean it's a lot of money to give up when he was suspended. Eleven million. Oh, the eleven is a lot million. Oh,
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, whatever he would, was going to win, board, whatever, find something else to do. <laughs> Come on, now.
1: Yeah, I guess we don't know as much as uh, we should because I think his problems run deeper than that. We're just you know we're not yeah. aware of his situation and what he's dealing with but this is like Pete Rose style here Luke.
0: Exactly and this is I think part of the reason why you know maybe he wasn't traded I think at a certain point maybe the Falcons knew about this because the league had requested him he come in for an interview and he did everything he didn't deny anything he did have everything the right way but again he still did the deed and i think even at the combine they were talking to arthur blank and some other people about his potential being traded and of course we want to bring him back and so it just almost seems like they kind of knew hey we're not going to trade him knowing that this is looming so you know arthur blank's always been a guy that's pretty above board, and uh, that could be why he wasn't moved. Yeah, remains to be seen what what his future in the NFL is. Famously, back in the 60s, Alex Karras and Paul Horning lost a year. Uh, Arch Leister was an uh, Ohio State quarterback, played for the Colts, had some issues, and again, he ended up, I think he just fizzled out. Anyway, he had all sorts of issues going on with him. But there's definitely a precedent there, and uh, he's paying the price uh, in more than one way. So hopefully, He gets his life straight and is able to be reinstated, I guess, in uh, 2023. So, I don't know, Alex, you got anything else left?
1: Let's get out of here, Lou.
0: All right, gang. Thanks again to our guest, Colby Burton. Don't forget to subscribe. For Alex, I'm Lou. Peace.